Welcome to Politics Roundtable on 1039, 1450WKXL.NH.Radio.com.KenKaleHereAndWeHaveADistinguishedNotExtinguishedButDistinguishedPanel.Including two-time U.S.Representative Paul Hodes,Former Senior Staffer and Campaign Manager Matt Robe
these are big things that are both symbolic and practical. So yes, let's just agree. We all hate executive orders. Uh, they're easy to hate because you can say, well, that's not what they were intended for. It's abusing the power of the presidency. But um, the power, the use of the power of the presidency has certainly changed. And, you know, Biden uh, may be more Rooseveltian than any president we've had uh, in the past, given the breadth and depth of the crises he's inheriting. I'd say, Joe, go for it. Go for it, Joe. What do you say, Matt? This seems to be a case where the design of the panel is operating as intended. If you take Alicia's view and Paul's view and you melted them down, you'd get sort of a uniform slurry with chunks of each of theirs found in the <laughs> middle of it. And that's essentially the opinion that I'm about to express. Hey, come on, it's fine. like Ben and Jerry's ice cream, you know? I mean, oh, that's <clears throat> so much better. Wow, look at you. You're <laughs> just putting just a wonderful framing on that. That's See, that's what you do. That's, that's why you were a member of Congress um, and I operated in the shadows. Absolutely agree. First of all, Alicia, for the win with the statistic this morning, 3,700 executive orders, bam, that is, uh, that's an outstanding historical fact that I had no idea about. So uh, kudos to you for, for pulling that one. Yeah, but you're, Alicia's right. Paul's right. Executive orders are fairly odious. They are really a, a tool of last resort. I do think that to some degree, Joe Biden to your question, Ken, about too much, too little, or just right, I get the sense that this initial flurry of executive orders falls into the Goldilocks zone. They're mostly designed to be directly responsive to executive orders undertaken, as Paul laid out, by President Trump. They're a fight fire with fire, measure for measure type approach, where it's undoing a previous executive order doing it quickly, taking action quickly. In many cases, there's a political component of fulfilling a campaign promise, sending a signal about the direction that the president-elect intends to go in, um, in terms of policy and in terms of priorities. I don't really have a deep problem with it from that standpoint, but you, you really don't want to see this become the default mode, as, as Alicia was alluding to, for how we're going to make policy. The, the first article of the Constitution is about the legislative branch. That's where legislating is supposed to happen. And I do think, the, the final thing I'll say is, I do think that Joe Biden is committed to that. But our show last week, Alicia made reference to Joe Biden's 47-year career, including 40-plus years in the Senate. This is someone who is deeply committed to the legislative process, really wants to restore some kind of functionality to Congress, I think he is going to try to go down that road to the maximum extent possible. And it'll just be on people like us to hold him accountable to that uh, and, and not let him backslide to a default mode of executive orders. Well, let me just, let me just add something here. Remember that uh, Biden uh, will be operating with a very uh, slim majority in the House of Representatives. He'll be operating with an evenly divided United States Senate, in which his vice president, Kamala Harris, will hold the deciding vote. The Senate is so evenly divided that on the news last night, there was a, a report of the negotiations between Chuck Schumer 
and Mitch McConnell about how they will operate in such a deeply uh, divided Senate. And he's coming in at a time of unprecedented uh, crisis. And one could say that, look, uh, Obama set a direction. He was in office for eight years. Trump uh, petulantly reversed all of that. And Biden's imperative here is to show the world that the United States is back as a leader. Uh, as a leader, I mean, if you only looked at the Paris, uh, Paris Climate Accord and the World Health Organization withdrawals that, that Trump uh, uh, tried to put in place, those are two huge issues that have global import. So Biden is clearly using the executive orders to send a strong global signal about his intent to reassert uh, the leadership of the United States on the global stage. Can I just toss in here though? Here, here's the problem. Take the Dreamers Act, um, EO, that he's going to do. Um, that's political. It's political because it's part of the Republicans hate immigrants, Democrats love immigrants narrative, which is not accurate. And that is hands down something that should be in the body of the legislature, not in the White House. President Obama shouldn't have dealt with it. President Trump overturned it, and now Joe Biden's going to overturn his overturning. Immigration policy should not be dictated by one man or woman out of the White House. That is a massive part of our culture and our function of this country. And look, I believe that if you came here at five years old and you're a 30-year-old functioning member of society, you should not be deported. That makes absolutely no sense to me. But that doesn't mean I think one man gets to call the shot on that. I think the policy needs to be broader, it needs to be clearer, and it needs to address a whole lot of factors that go into what a dreamer is and whether he or she should be able to have a pathway to citizenship. I'm curious, after hearing all your responses to executive orders, do you feel the same way about pardons? Do you put executive orders and pardons in the same category? I don't. I think... You know, pardons were written to have the president get to do what he wants with them. And he gets to, no matter who he is, no matter which president. I'm probably not going to like some of the pardons the president does. I'm probably going to approve of some of them. But at the end of the day, that is something that was written for him to have sole control over, unlike governing the country. Paul, any thoughts about pardons? I, I agree with Alicia. Uh, pardons are, 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 are explicitly part of the executive function. Um, Trump, of course, has, 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 is, is use, using them liberally. Um, it's reported that he's got a list of 100, uh, and ha that has been the subject of much attention inside the White House. They've been uh, doing a list and checking it twice, trying to figure <laughs> out who's naughty and nice. So, you know, I mean, he's going to play Santa Claus. But, uh, it, while while we're uh, on the air, who knows whether the list will have uh, grown or, 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 or slipped, but uh, we expect to have a, a huge number of pardons today. It's not going to be 3,700, uh, but it's going to be 100. And uh, there's going to be all kinds of uh, bad people on, on the, or people who've acted badly uh, on the on that list that that various parts of the national constituency are going to hold their nose over and just say, oh, come on, you pardon the people. I mean, it's when I, Ken, when I got to Congress, 
uh, one of the first things uh, we did, and I was a member of the uh, Oversight and Government Reform Committee, was we um, dug in to what happened uh, with the military contractors in Iraq who murdered civilians. Um, and we found that that was simply, uh, to put it mildly, a, an off-the-wall shooting spree that had that had no basis in defense um, and no legitimacy. And ultimately, four military contractors who worked for the mercenary operation operated by Betsy DeVos's brother, uh, Eric Prince, no, at Blackwater at the time. They migrated to something else. They were charged and convicted uh, for murder. Uh, Trump uh, pardoned them. I mean, that's just outrageous. It's 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 crazy time. Um, and clearly, uh, I don't know whether DeVos and Prince um, impressed upon him, but but doing something like that compared to rejoining the Paris Climate Accord or rejoining the World Health Organization during a global pandemic stand on very different footing. Um, and Trump has the authority in the Constitution to do it. In terms of just just while we're while we're on the subject, I'll just say, the question of whether or not he can grant a self pardon, whether the executive power to grant pardons goes that far, uh, is uh, very much an open question. In that, uh, no executive uh, in the White House has ever tried to do that, and if he tries to do that, it will be. Um, pretty interesting because he's about to be tried in the Senate after he leaves office. And if he does an anticipatory executive pardon of himself, it's going to create some really interesting precedent uh, to be examined by the courts um, in, 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 in this country. So they, while executive orders and the pardon power are both functions of the executive, one is permitted, um, and the other has been uh, assumed. The only thing I would inject here is that we've been reminded over and over again in the last four years how much of the comportment of individuals who serve in elected office and the functioning of our government relies on norms, expectations of how people will behave rather than explicit laws or rules. And the entire enterprise of the pardon power, which granted is written into the constitution is called into question when you have an individual who goes so far beyond those norms and expectations. We hand driver's licenses under the law to people who we expect to operate motor vehicles, not only lawfully, but courteously and, and according to certain societal expectations. If people go around behaving like maniacs, then it does call into question the whole licensing process. So like many other things in our setup of government, it is reasonable for the legislative branch to consider whether, sure, there's a constitutional authority for the president, but are there ways to set up some guardrails around this process, around this pardon process, to try and hem it in a little bit further? Because if we end up with another Trump-like figure in the White House, the amount of abuse, I think, might go beyond what we can sustain as a system. It's already come perilously close to that line. 
Well, Alicia brought it up first, uh, talking about the I word immigration and uh, President-elect Biden plans to unveil a sweeping uh, immigration bill on day one of his administration, hoping to provide an eight year path to citizenship for an estimated 11 million people living in the U.S. without legal status. Is that a symbol? Is it just symbolic or is there a chance this could really happen, Paul? Immigration has been um, uh, the, um, the, the soccer ball uh, of the American government and policy for a long, long time. Uh, let's remember that uh, President Bush, um, uh, the last President Bush, was, was a, a friend of immigration policy. He uh, wanted to see uh, a comprehensive immigration reform. When I was in Congress, uh, it was kicked around an awful lot. Um, and ultimately, um, the, um, there were members of my party uh, who would not uh, go for a watered down uh, immigration reform. They wanted to go for the, as we say, the whole enchilada. Um, and Biden's plan uh, is an uh, expansion, uh, is an eight-year pathway to citizenship, expansion of refugee admissions, uh, an enforcement plan that deploys uh, technology, and um, it is uh, a legislative proposal, which he apparently plans to send to Congress on Wednesday, um, basically. Yeah, he's inaugurated at noon, takes the oath at 12.02, and Congress will get this by 12.03. Uh, but it, it also includes a heavy focus on addressing the root causes of migration from Central America, which is a, a key part of Biden's foreign policy portfolio um, and was a key part of his uh, work when he was vice president. Um, so he is really um, looking at this, I think, as continuity of something that he really cared about. There is no doubt that a comprehensive immigration reform would be good for the country. It would put to, to rest uh, a challenging issue, which has been a, a battle cry uh, for the right um, and a battle cry uh, for the left, because as a practical matter, um, ultimately, you're, you're not going to deport 11 million people. It's just not going to happen. Uh, we, we won't go through all the arguments here, but this is more than symbolic. This is practical. Whether it can, whether it can pass uh, at this point um, is a really tough nut. I think it puts a lot of what we uh, are, are going to call centrist Democrats um, in a challenging position. Uh, there are Democrats who won in, in Trump districts and uh, it could spell a real problems for them. So uh, it's, a, it's challenging to pass comprehensive immigration reform. I, my, my, I, I don't give it a 50-50 chance. I think there's less than 50-50 that uh, it, can, it, it can pass. I think it's going to cause Democrats to defect from the from the middle. So, Alicia, is uh, Biden going to tear down that wall at, at least, you know, at least, you know, symbolically? Uh, I like I referenced before, I think it's political, which would be the symbolism symbolism of it. I think we need comprehensive immigration reform. I think 
the so-called dreamers, the people that came here at a young age and are functioning in society now need a path to citizenship. I think I'd like to see comprehensive reform. However, that cuts off the magnets because that's what, you know, you can build a wall, you can do all that. I was never a fan of the visual of the wall, but people aren't going to come here if it doesn't benefit them. If you can't hire illegal immigrants, like let's crack down on businesses that are hiring illegal immigrants, crack down on the magnets that bring people here in the illegal way they come come legally. I'm all for, I'm a huge pro-immigrant person. My in-laws are immigrants. I, I am all for what America is in the melting pot, but there's a legal path and it's not that difficult of a legal path, to be honest. So I'd like to see an immigration plan that in addition to allows a path to citizenship for these dreamers also cuts off magnets that brings illegal immigrants here in the first place. That's where we need to begin. Matt? Um, Paul's wrong. This is symbolic. There's, I have no doubt, a great deal of sincerity on the part of President-elect Biden. But uh, as he referenced, there's not really, talk about a practical pathway. I don't think there's a practical pathway to passage. I think that this represents a campaign promise fulfilled for Joe Biden. He is sending a signal for intent. And I agree with Alicia. This is a serious problem. And kudos to Biden, even if it's symbolic, that there's value in that. Laying out what you believe is the right solution, there's value in that. And perhaps there are pieces of this, maybe pieces relating to the dreamers that will find their way through the legislative process. But as a package, a legal pathway, I think we saw in 2013 and 2014, when Marco Rubio attempted to exert some leadership on this in the Republican Party, he got a tremendous amount of blowback. He spent the next two and a half years walking himself back from that position and never really fully recovered. I just don't see the motivation within the Republican party and frankly, among some Democrats to put a whole package like this with a robust pathway to citizenship uh, through the Congress and, and signed into law. It, it just seems like a very low probability path. Time for a break. We'll be back with more Politics Roundtable on 103.9, 1450 WKXL and nhtalkradio.com. Welcome back to Politics Roundtable. Ken Kale here with two-term U.S. Representative Paul Hodes, former senior staffer and campaign manager Matt Robeson, and columnist and political analyst Alicia Preston. Several commentators have suggested this week that the next big project for the Republican Party is to try to move on from President Trump. The Atlantic suggested that the whole party will try to forget him, while a conservative columnist suggested that Mitch McConnell will try to steer Senate Republicans to convict Trump in the impeachment trial to try to move on more forcefully. Can McConnell, Kevin McCarthy, Liz Cheney, and other Republican leaders accomplish this transition? And how will they do it, Alicia? No, I mean, you're not gonna get 17 Republicans to vote to convict Donald Trump. That's, you know, unless in the next 24 hours something really tragic happens, uh, it's not gonna happen. And for that reason, I didn't think he should be impeached in the first place. I don't think this trial should go on. I think the country has got to heal from the division we are feeling right now. And this will simply drag it out more, more hate and angst from each side to the other side, more accusations and more claims and more, you know, maybe more violence. 
in Washington, D.C. or in capitals across our country. And sometimes you have to say it's not about making a point. And I keep making this point. It's not about making a point. It's about doing what is best for the country. And this whole thing is for show and not what's best for the country. Paul? Oh, oh, oh. What must it be like to be the only president in American history to have been impeached twice? Two times a loser. I think there's a song in that. Two times a loser. You, the L word. President Trump, you're a loser. Loser. How many, how, how can we say this? You loser. He goes down in history as the reviled loser, the only president to have been impeached twice. Will it, will he be convicted in the Senate? Well, that's, um, that's a pretty, that's a stretch. That's certainly a stretch, but holding this loser accountable for defiling our sacred institutions, for inciting a riot in which people died in our capital for inciting a mob to fly the Confederate flag inside the Capitol and leave human waste behind. I think, I think an impeachment is the least that we can see. What I'm hoping, frankly, is that at 1201, when the loser leaves office and skulks off to Florida to consort with the alligators in the swamps, that the indictments start rolling in, that the criminal indictments start rolling in, that the civil litigation starts hitting him so that he spends the rest of his life either defending himself or in an orange jumpsuit, shackled, shackled to a large group of bad people shuffling around a federal penitentiary. Matt, uh, is impeachment uh, in the Senate, an impeachment trial, uh, a good way to uh, bring this country together? Probably not. I think right. that the strategic <laughs> problem, the strategic problem that Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell and Liz Cheney and all of them collectively face is how do you get across this chasm that has been created? How, how do you get to the other side? It's been well reported that privately and occasionally not so privately, see Liz Cheney, they are despondent about the position that they found themselves in. And by the way, I happen to believe that America needs a functional center-right party for the health of the whole body politic. I'm actually in favor of a reasonable and robust Republican party that provides a counterbalance and that where there is a, a healthy exchange of ideas. Not one party has a, has a hammer lock on good ideas. But if you do look at where the Republican party has landed, I mean, look, just, just look at the last couple of weeks. Um, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, which was a longstanding uh, bulwark of the Republican Party, has started donating evenly to Democrats and Republicans. The NRA has filed for bankruptcy and is going to reincorporate as a nonprofit in Texas, one step ahead of the law. Sheldon Adelson, the party's biggest donor, died this week. The Democrats crushed Republicans in the last cycle in fundraising. Republicans lost their congressional power. And right now, 
corporate donors have blacklisted Republicans who refuse to accept the election results after the insurrection in the Capitol. The whole brand is underwater and President Trump is leaving office, according to Gallup, with something on the order of 34% approval. So there is a big uphill climb here. But to your question, Ken, I don't, and I agree with Alicia here, I, I, don't, I don't think that Mitch McConnell has a realistic pathway to, uh, to push in a conviction through the Senate. The question is going to be, and, and I have a suspicion here, I think that, that the first strategy that Republicans will try is the amnesia strategy. I think when asked about President Trump- Who? In, uh, yes, exactly. Who? What they will say is, what they will say is, I am proud of the tax relief and conservative regulatory reform that I was able to help pass. And I, of course, disagreed with President, former President Trump on many occasions with tone, blah, blah, blah. They will try that. The, the thing that remains to be seen is, will it work? And the biggest factor in that question is, will Trump himself let them get away with it? How disruptive is he going to be for his own party versus how constructive is he going to be? You know, here's a question. Let me just ask it this way. So what's more important in pushing reform for the Republican Party? So I, I ask this, I'm not a Republican. I know that's a shock to people. I'm not a Republican. But is 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 it more important that there is genuine remorse over having supported a president who's slinking away with 34% approval and who incited a riot and that people genuinely feel remorse about that and say, this shouldn't be the party of Trump. We've got to get back to what Republicans want to stand for, small government, low taxes, uh, real family values. Um, that's really important. Or is it more important that 20 out of 30 of the PACs that have supported the members who voted uh, to certify to, against certifying the election, that 20 out of 30 of them have pulled their support and of the remaining 10, at least nine are, are waffling about pulling their financial support from those members. Which, which is more likely to push the Republican party back to a, what I will call as a partisan Democrat, a more responsible path? Well, I think the Republican Party needs to move on and not let the administration of Donald Trump, particularly the final weeks of it, um, be the albatross across the neck. They don't have to. I mean, Mitch McConnell doesn't have to answer for what Donald Trump did every day for the next two to four years. He, he shouldn't have to and he doesn't have to. The Republican Party wants to get back to um, its ideals, then it needs to get back to um, governing by its ideals, smaller government, uh, lower taxes, um, individual freedoms, all the things that, you know, we all signed up for when we checked that little box to be in R when we registered to vote. Donald Trump does, no one person, forget Donald Trump, no one person defines something as large as a political party, let alone a nation. And if Republicans want to grow, regain seats in two years, um, grow in state governments, then they need to remind people what the Republican Party stands for from an ideal standpoint, not from a person standpoint. Is there any chance that a, a Senate impeachment trial could make Donald Trump a martyr 
Any chance of that? Yeah, that's a risk. That's a yeah. risk that's been bandied about. And what you'd hate to see is, and, and I think, look, Mitch McConnell, for whatever else he is, and there are some strong views about him, he is a, a pretty savvy operator and he does, he's a strategic thinker. And I would bet that he is weighing right now that kind of intended and unintended consequence pathway from going down that road. There is a pathway that commentators are writing about this. People are talking about it where he gets convicted. He can't run for office again. Can, as you say, he becomes a martyr. And then there, you know, if he's able to hand off his political brand and legacy to say Don Jr., Ivanka, not Mike Pence, let's be honest, um, you know, he could have a, a reinvigorated MAGA wing of the party to deal with. Um, and that's that's not the position that I think Mitch McConnell wants to end up in. And by the way, not the position that I think any of us on this panel want to see the Republican Party end up in either. So, yeah, it's a risk. I so, think he already is a martyr. Yeah, I agree with Delicia. I think he's already a martyr. He can't be any more of one. The people who believe that the election was stolen, that there was widespread fraud, and there is millions of them out there that truly believe that, um, he is already a martyr to that cause. Yep. Look, 16% of the American people uh, believe uh, that the election was stolen. 16%. Um, that's because if you look at the statistics on, on, on signups, uh, the Republican Party is about 25%, Democrats 31%, independents 41%. I think we're going to see uh, the the body of independents grow, by the way, and of and of those twenty five percent who represent uh, who have signed up to check the R, um, you know, a significant percentage of them believe that Trump is God, and uh, that um, uh, that is not going to change with a Senate trial. Um, he already represents. Uh, the 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 this the saving uh, of our of our republic from the evil hands of those who stole the election. Now, one thing a Senate trial could produce is um, evidence. Not that anybody really cares about evidence, but it could be um, an airing of facts that people haven't focused on that may change a few minds, irrespective of whether he's convicted or not. But, but who in this country really, really cares about facts anyway? I mean, facts and evidence and rational thinking and reasons. I mean, that's the old saw that Democrats keep coming back to. If we just keep explaining, they'll get it. And the more we talk the less they listen. And the more we say, the less they care. Because this is not about facts. It's about feelings. And so Donald Trump is going to slink down to Florida. He's going to, I don't know, wear, you know, wear nothing but white and be seen outside his large mansion, throwing food to the alligators who gather at his feet like acolytes before a prophet. You should write for Disney. That would be a great little <laughs> <laughs> he, he could sing for Disney too. <laughs> <what>? <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, what would that be like? Can you feel the love tonight, Trump's Trump style? <laughs> <laughs> or under the sea, maybe. The uh, Senate Democrats have uh, designated a sweeping package uh, of campaign reforms as the honorary first bill of Congress, S-1, the For the People Act, as it's called, written by Senator Jeff Merkley, a Democrat from Oregon. Uh, it includes uh, provisions making it easier to vote nationwide, including automatic voter res- uh, registration or same-day voter registration, if you will, limiting dark money in politics, including new disclosure requirements for outside funding, nonpartisan redistricting, public financing of campaigns, and increased lobbying disclosures. Is there any real chance of passing that? Uh, moderate Democrats and Republicans don't like public financing of campaigns, and Republicans don't like the redistricting money and automatic registration plans. Is this just a message, or, Alicia, will Democrats put some muscle into this? You know, I think it's probably too big of a bill to pass. There's too many things in there that one or two people aren't going to like on both sides of the aisle. Um, I chuckle at the concept that it's allegedly a nonpartisan redistricting. There's literally no such thing as nonpartisan redistricting. It's never happened, and it won't. Um, But, you know, there's, there's, when, when they put these bills out there where there's so much in it and you've got such a narrow house and a narrow Senate, you really risk the chance of it losing just based on this person doesn't like this one piece. This person doesn't like this one piece. Um, I am with the Republicans. I am not for automatic registration. Uh, that doesn't make sense to me. Same day is fine. We've got it in New Hampshire. Um, but also these voting issues are left up to the states and should be left up to the states. I I always wince when the federal government wants to get into the business that is clearly under the purview of state government. Well, you know, I got to Congress all all hot under the collar about uh, reforms. Um, Some similar similar to what what are in this bill, Um, uh, not just voting reforms, but ethics reforms and public financing and and it makes for such a great talking point if you're a democrat to talk about ethics because um and and reform of the voting system because then you get to paint the other side as the bad guys and then you get to congress and it turns out that Nobody wants to change the way the game is played because everybody's got a stake in it. Everybody, you know, I mean, we're fr- everybody's friends with a group of lobbyists and the lobbyists know how to bundle the money. And all, every evening you go out to yet another fundraiser that the lobbyists have put together for you. And sure enough, it's great for lip service. Oh, we're going to reform the way this game is played. We're going to reform from voting to lobbyists to, oh man, we are really going to see change. And it never happens because if you know how to play the game, why give it up? Matt, where do you come down on campaign reform? There's a concept in economics known as revealed preference, which essentially amounts to, if you want to see what people really think, watch what they do. I would turn your question around earlier 
about whether this is just message or Democrats will put some muscle into it into sort of a revealed preference kind of frame. Let's see what Democrats do. Do they want the talking point as Paul is alluding to, or are they serious about doing something? Alicia's right, there are too many components in this large package to pass as is. But there are pieces of this where if Democrats were truly interested in making some fixes, and by the way, I believe we desperately need fixes. When you have such a large percentage, and, and Paul, I think you lowballed it a little bit earlier, the number of people who believe that there was some skullduggery in this election, and to some degree it was illegitimate, it is a, it is a majority of the Republican Party. And it's a, it's a high number of independents too. People who lean toward the Republican Party are losing a sense of skin in the game for the setup of our democratic process. And there are, there are deals that could be made in here. Um, one area that you alluded to, Paul, is campaign finance. No one likes the fundraising system. No one understands what the rules of the game are and everyone is constantly gaming them. That is an area where Republicans and Democrats could get together and do something. There's been a lot of talk about you know, speaking of early voting or early registration, there are some trade-offs that Republicans and Democrats could agree to uh, from the explosion of mail-in voting, which Republicans don't like, to uh, opening up early voting, which Democrats like and Republicans seem to be okay with as long as it's in person. So if you want, really we're serious about crafting something narrower that would advance the ball, it wouldn't solve all the problems, that could be done and I think we just have to sort of wait and see how serious the parties are about doing something. Well, uh, we only have about three minutes left, but the rescue plan, it's out there. Biden unveiled this week $1.9 trillion covering everything from more direct payments to individuals, more unemployment benefits, a big push on vaccines and testing, uh, longer eviction moratorium, and even a $15 per hour minimum wage. Paul, your thoughts? Let's wave the flag for, 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 um, for, for symbolic gestures. Let's all, let's all <laughs> cheer. Rah, rah. Pom-poms are waving. Uh, there's a pyramid of cheerleaders. <clears throat> That's about as far as uh, uh, some of this will get. Now, some of this is urgently needed. Um, the $15 an hour minimum wage is it, it would be the right thing to do, but it's never going to happen. Um, it's just not, not, not going to happen. Um, but there are other provisions of this rescue plan, which um, uh, are, are learned behavior from 2009 when the recovery package should have been bigger. Um, and this rescue plan uh, is much more targeted to helping individual Americans. That's a really critical part of it. It puts uh, money in the pocket of Americans, and it's a lot of it is directly related to solving the coronavirus uh, crisis and getting the economy moving again. To that extent, um, I think it's really important, and I'm hoping that uh, it is balanced by rescinding the 2017 tax cuts for the very rich in which 83 cents of every dollar went into the pocket of the very, very tippy top uh, of the American economy. Alicia, your thoughts? 
I think we could have an entire show just on this package. I think some yep. of it is very good. Some of it is very bad. So let me just take one second instead to say, I look forward to the inauguration of Joe Biden, not because he's Joe Biden, not because he's a Democrat, but because every four years since I was a child, I've watched the proceedings and the ceremony and the pomp and circumstance, and I can't wait to see what Jill Biden's wearing. It is a great day in America every four years when we have a peaceful transfer of government. Matt, final Good thoughts? Here. Wow. You know what? I was going to say something about the legislative package, but um, Alicia's more uh, elevated statement about the majesty of, of the transfer of power is a better place to end. And by the way, I, I hear we have notification that it's time for us to end anyway. So um, I, I defer to Alicia's last word. That That's the right sentiment. Thank you, Alicia, uh, for that. Thank you, Alicia, for wrapping it up in a proper fashion here on uh, Politics Roundtable on 1039-1450-WKXL-NHTalkRadio.com. That's going to have to do it for Paul Hodes, Matt Robeson, and Alicia Preston. I'm Ken Kale. See you next time on Politics Roundtable.